Hello and welcome to the Experience Lounge podcast. I'm Sasha. I'm Laura. And we're here to talk all things employee experience, experience design, future of work and digital HR. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Experience Lounge podcast episode 29. Like we said last week, we are one more away from our big 3-0. Um, and this week's episode, we're going to be talking about hybrid working and whether this is better or worse for diversity and inclusion. But before we get into the topic, Sasha, how have you been? I am doing good. I am okay. Um, what is there to update? I feel like it's been so long since we've recorded a podcast episode. I'm nervous to be back, honestly. I feel like it's my first day of work, you know, when you're nervous. <laughs> that's how I feel. Um, but no, I'm doing good. What are, What is there for me to update you on? My other half went away. He went on a trip to Hawaii. That was very exciting for mm. him. I spent the entire week doing not a lot, obviously, apart from work. But that was also almost like a holiday for me. You know, when you just, as an, yeah. as an in which I am um it was actually really nice yeah I'm an introvert do you not think so no no. but people say that about me like they um I think in a work context people think I'm not but I so am like there's nothing for me better than a curling up with a good book at the end of the day yeah Yeah, absolutely and being on my own and just loving it so yeah so I enjoyed that what else is there going on I've got some big deadlines with work at the moment but really interesting ones which is good and what else have I been up to my goodness other than being sick terribly sick I'm actually doing okay that's about it there's really nothing else for me to update you guys on other I'm just trying to think are there any good Netflix series that I can plug here that I've watched oh um go on uh, so love love is blind we finished that and actually somebody even messaged me on linkedin and said i i'm now watching that because you mentioned it on the podcast i was like yes you're my people um the ultimatum i haven't started watching that have you oh, i watched the whole thing and honestly um, it was just the what i felt i felt stupid finishing it like genuinely i just <laughs> feel like i had regressed and oh dear it was just so terrible and also you'll get this i felt so old watching it Everyone on there oh. was like 20, 22. I've heard and this. I'm like, and I'm like, you also, why? not be getting yeah. married. <laughs> yeah. No. no. Um, um. So would not recommend. But I did watch on Disney the um, Theranos drama, the one with Amanda Seyfried in it that is playing Elizabeth, oh, yeah, like Elizabeth Holmes. Brilliant. Mm. Um, so, so good. Watched it over the weekend. Would absolutely recommend. It's just so fascinating kind of seeing how she turned Theranos into that um alongside a few other people so anyway I am waffling way too much Laura how are you give us a house update house update I feel like is is so close to getting there so this week coming week so it's Easter Monday here that we're recording hence my my couch attire um because it's public holiday in the UK I know it isn't in Singapore I have to clarify that um we will exchange this week and then complete next Friday and get the keys. It's like oh. so exciting. So, so for those that 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 are sort of regular listeners, you'll know that means that I've lived with my in-laws for seven months. <laughs> seven months. I have PTSD for you. I I'm really struggling for you. Um, so cannot wait for you to complete and get your yeah, keys. And so get I'm excited. I'm excited. Got my home Insta set up, nearly ready Have to tell you? people what it is. Okay, yeah, fine. I'll tell you what it is. And then we can start start doing the the little renovations. I'm excited because we've never owned a house. So I think it's quite a big deal. And also a bit unusual yeah. probably for the age that I'm at to have never 
never owned a house but that's no. living abroad for 10 years in a exactly I, I was gonna say you were living abroad you were living like the expatriate life like it's it's very rare and also there's so much hassle involved with managing property overseas like we do it and honestly it's just not worth it so I I yes. yeah hats off to you I think um so exciting we can't wait for it and work's going well yeah. for you it is three months into my new job um I think I'm Perhaps. feeling a bit more bit more settled um but still you know the the journey of of starting a new role um yeah. is definitely past more than 90 days I think to get your feet under the table that's the right phrase isn't it I always get these idioms wrong like seriously yeah I'm just gonna say yes and we'll move on um yeah. so HR tech news before we get into today's questions so um only two stories I'm going to call out here very briefly the first one is if you haven't listened to the last episode, episode 28 of the podcast, first of all, what are you doing? Um, go and listen to it. It's brilliant. We um, The episode was dedicated to the amazing Volker Jacobs, who is the CEO and founder of both TI People and Fount. And that is what I'm going to talk about now. So Fount, we wanted to celebrate the launch because in the EX sphere, it's very rare that we come across technology that is 100% dedicated to employee experience. We have lots of kind of patchy HR tech solutions, but this is one of a kind. So um, just a quick recap. So Fount was created by a team of thought leaders and experts with a deep understanding of the complexity behind delivering high quality employee experiences at work. Based on the team's track record of work at EX consultancy and pioneering um, through TI People, Fount believes employees should feel great at work by by applying, goodness, I'm struggling today, maybe I need an extra coffee, Um, by applying employee experience to organizational talent challenges, common human frustrations, and friction can be swept away. The dream of a better experience at work can be made real for your employees, your customers, and maybe even the wider world. Some big promises there. I love it. So definitely just wanted to shout out. We'll leave the link to found below. I think they're launching in phases. So you definitely see more from, from the team. So make sure you're following them on LinkedIn. And then the second news story isn't really a news story, but it's Oh my goodness, <clears throat> struggling today. Lady Rona's still got me. Um, <clears throat> second one is a bit of a spotlight on a platform, um, which is called Out in Tech. And Out in Tech is the world's largest nonprofit community for LGBTQ plus tech leaders. And so this platform, which again, we will link in the show notes, um, is all about creating opportunities for the LGBTQ plus community um, and connecting employers and employees together as well. So if you are uh, in the talent sphere, in the tech space, definitely go and check this out because you can partner with them to start um, tapping into some amazing talent um, and really getting involved with their events and sponsoring them or maybe being a corporate um, donor as well. So absolutely just wanted to shout out to them today. So those are our two stories. I appear to have caught COVID again and recovered all in the last five minutes. Um, So Laura, over to you. (laughs) And then I was like, well, I'm going to ask the questions to start with, which then means it's straight back to you. But I can always um, give give a little bit of input. But like we said, we wanted um, the episode. We've done quite a few episodes, I think, on hybrid working, different guises, um, what to think about from an EX perspective. We also talked about the um, the four-day working mm. week as well. But we wanted to do a bit of a focus on diversity, equity and inclusion. So, um, so the first question we wanted to explore a bit, what are some of the benefits of hybrid working when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion? What do you think, Sasha? So I think a big one and really probably quite obvious is 
it's really good for working parents um, yes. and not just working parents, expectant mothers and expectant fathers as well, um, or just anyone that has any kind of kind of caring responsibility, because it really affords you the ability to balance both, you know, attend appointments in the morning, come back, flex your schedule. You don't have to commute the two hours mm. or whatever it is. So I definitely think that is a benefit. Um, and certainly I think we're seeing a lot of the research and a lot of the writing around hybrid work in diversity. This is a real benefit. Um, yeah. I recently did some research with a client of mine as we were updating the parental leave policy. And one of the questions I asked for a lot of women, <clears throat> goodness, COVID's coming back. Laura, you take over. <laughs> so I don't know the exact research, obviously, <laughs> that you were um, that you were looking at. Um, but I guess to build on your point around um, those that have care and responsibilities, or and actually, I think I think sometimes it's also for organisations to be mindful of. It's not just people that have care mm. and responsibilities that might want some of that flexibility. Yeah. Um, but I think it is that ability to to flex your day around whatever needs that you might have. And I do think even from sort of personal experience, the days that I do work from home does mean I can do nursery pickup or or drop yeah. off. And you can maybe then, if I take a bit of a lunch break, I'll also then get to see my son. And I think some of that ability to flex is, is really key. And when yeah. we then talk about opening up to a broader talent pool I think historically when sort of pre-covid when lots of organizations still kind of worked in that model of everybody goes into the office nine to five you know that sort of wrap around commute around everything um that that would have been challenging for those that had to for example get to a nursery or a school pickup especially um where some nurseries they charge like a pound a minute if you're late um so that sort of pressure I think yeah um, yeah that sort of pressure and even actually again sort of slight digress but um the nursery that we're about to um put my son into um when we move house in a couple of weeks that charges if you're past 6 p.m 15 pounds between 6 p.m and 6 15 (laughs) so the the sort of financial penalty of being late then just means people I think felt that kind of rush and it was typically as we've seen with a lot of research in terms of women being more adversely um, impacted by the pandemic because they often take the brunt of care and responsibilities same thing that it would be women that perhaps you know if you're having to commute for example across London you might have had to leave at like 4 30 in order to not get the the charge at 6 p.m right so I think what the what 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 sort of hybrid working has enabled is that that ability to flex Mm. and I think the other thing which again is something that I'm personally finding I think is is sort of working really well with my own team is the time spent together then in person just becomes much more purposeful and and meaningful because we're deliberately really trying to focus on what is the work that has to be done and what's the best way in which that work needs to be done so if for example I'm going to spend um 
a whole day on a series of video calls with you know Singapore with colleagues in India different um, geographies across the the sort of footprint where I work um that's not a great use of time if I go and do that in the office because actually generally my internet connection is better at home um yeah and you can you know you can do those those sort of meetings quite easily from home similarly I think if you have focused work to do I personally think that's easier to do at home less distractions you've got often a dedicated sort of um office space but it's the kind of coming together for collaboration connection is um I think is some of the stuff around why Mm. that kind of hybrid stuff of face-to-face then does does really work yeah it makes it feel more special I think what I was trying to say before I caught COVID for the fifth time on this call um (laughs) was I did some research with a client of mine and we spoke, uh, you know, around paternity leave, um, parental leave generally and asking, you know, how has the last two years been for you as you've gone on leave and then you've come back and you've been able to work remotely or in a hybrid fashion. And it was number one most amazing benefit because, you know, for new parents, you know, meant women didn't have to pump in the office. They could pump at home or breastfeed, you know, during their breaks. They didn't have to worry about that. And on the flip side, secondary caregivers, um, partners, they were able to support their their other halves better and kind of be, be around and be more present for things like bath times in the evening or those kind of things. So it's really good to hear from the employee voice perspective as well that mm. that is a real benefit, particularly for those. But as you say, it's not just for those with caring responsibilities. It's also the flexibility to go to the gym, which is going to have yeah. benefits for your mental health and your physical health. Mm. It's being able to go and squeeze in the doctor's appointment or nip to the shop and get your shopping over your lunchtime. Yeah, you know, exactly. All of those things make a difference, right? Yeah, definitely. So I think what it does is it opens up, on the plus side, it opens up, I think, opportunity for that broader, diverse talent pool because those individuals that perhaps previously might not have been able to work flexibly because it was going into the office nine to five long commutes. It wouldn't have worked with um, other things in their life. That's the, I think the positive, I think one of the challenges though, um, which is starting to be kind of more um, documented is around proximity bias. Um, And it is, I think we, I think organizations have to be really cognizant and, and sort of mindful when they're thinking about how to implement hybrid working and policies and, and and sort of guidelines that you would give to people leaders and employees that we don't almost I'm going to say in sort of inverted commas but forget about those that perhaps do more do work more days from home when it might come to promotion opportunities or it comes to reward and and recognition and I think that's one of the the biggest challenges and that I think sometimes also will play out from a gender diversity yeah. and, and kind of equity perspective because again typically not always but typically women will um, sort of bear the brunt of care and responsibilities as we've said so therefore may work more days a week from home in that sort of hybrid model than perhaps some of their male counterparts and so what it can't be is if leaders are thinking about you know who's the person that I would put forward for promotion this year it can't be oh it's going to be this person because they were in the office four days a week whereas this person was actually I only saw them you know a couple of times a month type scenario so I think the the sort of proximity bias is something that organizations really need to think about what's your view though on on how they could maybe tackle 
tackle that sort of um that challenge do you think Mm. so I want to first start out by saying like also from a proximity bias perspective not just you know typically what we're seeing a lot in a lot of the literature around women who are looking after families at home um, but also, you know, we need to think of other kind of vulnerable employee groups still, you know, as much as yeah. in the UK, maybe not. COVID does exist everywhere else. And so, you know, when you've got people that are maybe immune compromised or, mm. you know, pregnant yeah. employees or even the partners of pregnant employees who don't want to put themselves at risk of bringing COVID home or, you know, something yeah. like that. Those are also people that will be impacted by that proximity bias and, I think sadly we're seeing it play out already and I'm I'm sad to say we almost have to wait for the data in kind of nine months a year's time to see of the organizations that are able to track who's in and out of the office plus if they had a solution that looked at kind of those relational analytics analytics factors like emails and regular touch points and calls could can we see a correlation between you know um, compensation increases or promotion opportunities and attendance? Uh, at the office and so I think we almost have kind of have to see it play out a little bit we're kind of making an assumption or at least hypothesizing here that uh, that will have a long-term adverse effect Mm. on certain employees so I just wanted to add that but in terms of what can organizations do to um, overcome this so I think first thing is having or driving an awareness of proximity bias is really important and so I think you know, a lot of the time we think about hybrid working toolkits, but actually this is really critical for managers as part of their hybrid Mm. working training is what are my blind spots? So, you know, I'm sure there's lots around there around supporting mental health for employees and the physical health and well-being for people coming in and how do we maintain social distancing Mm. if that's still an issue. Um, But we need to be addressing the proximity bias issue and doing so early as well. So before performance conversations start coming around, before ad hoc performance or career conversations start coming around we need managers to be aware that this is an issue but also not just managers I think the general employee population should be aware of this because it also impacts the social dynamics of a team and so you know it's not just the manager's responsibility but when you're part of a team of four or five people you don't want people to be feeling left out because that level of social exclusion or you know team exclusion can result in people feeling you know, less valued, less engaged and wanting to leave. So I also think it's really important. So I think in summary, a good bit of training and awareness um, for the business. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I also think we've talked a little bit about, I say a little bit, it's kind of been the um, the foundation often of a lot of our earlier episodes when we were talking through um, human-centered design and how you can apply some of that ex lens but I think it's also being really mindful of the different touch points during that hybrid working experience and thinking about how do you make those inclusive and what are as you sort of said some of those blind spots that Mm -hmm. you might need to be aware of And and I can see that kind of play out in in hiring decisions um you know whether that's somebody how are you interviewing candidates Mm. that are coming in is that virtual is it face-to-face and what's the sort of setup when people join you know around onboarding I think you can sort of apply that lens across a number of touch points during that employee journey so for me that's that's an area I think whether you're sort of a HR professional or EX practitioner 
to start to really think about. And, and as you say, as the data kind of comes in, I think using that data to then shape those different parts of the experience with that um, diversity, equity and inclusion lens, because I almost think at the moment it's a bit unclear as to what the full impact will be, because I still think organisations are starting to, because of different government restrictions and different geographies, they're sort of starting to work through how do we make this work? What might be some of the challenges? Where does where do we sort of need to get the right leadership capability, the right leadership sponsorship? Yeah. All of that, I think, is um is going to be really key. But me sort of thinking with my EX hat on is is really thinking about that employee journey and thinking about some of those kind of key experience or those kind of key touch points and and are we looking at those from a lens of mm. diversity equity inclusion and are we getting the voice of those different employee groups yeah. into any sort of solutions that we might be designing or you know or sort of thinking about yeah absolutely agree with you and i think i alluded to this i think in a previous podcast episode but also in a webinar recently which is i think because hybrid working and getting people back into the office it was kind of necessarily knee jerk but I feel like a lot of the kind of right we need to get people Mm. back what's the strategy was quite you know it was pulled together relatively quickly for some organizations and so because the rules change so frequently but I think for that reason maybe there's an opportunity for EX practitioners and HR leaders listening to kind of reverse and, and kind of revisit the hybrid working strategy or the hybrid working principles that were kind of put in place however many months ago as you say, using that human-centered design view and saying, okay, let's let's go and get some feedback on this or like let's test this with, you know, certain employee population and, and see what feedback we get and how we need to evolve this. Because I do think when the hybrid working topic came out, we were all talking about, you know, how do we get desk booking right and how do we get communication right? None of us were talking about proximity bias and the impact it's going to have on performance. And so the conversation has evolved, and rightly so, to include these kind of really important diversity, equity and inclusion topics. And so I think with that in mind, we need to have this constant cycle of review on that hybrid working strategy, which I'm sure a lot of organisations or I would expect a lot of organisations already do, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it is, I almost think it's a bit, um, a bit like the sort of hierarchy of needs conversation again, in that there are things related to the hybrid working experience around your office setup, the the kind of suite of technology that you have for your employees, both in the office and at home. And to me, they're kind of like the basic needs that need to be in place in order for this to sort of work. But then there's just the, the, the build which even when you think of how do you make sure that meetings are inclusive and that's things where I don't, I don't think people, when we were all working from home, everybody was on a level playing field, right? So you were all, you know, logging into your Zoom or whatever video technology platform of choice your organization used. And it was the same for everybody, but actually in the hybrid context, you've then got some people that it might be their office day that day. You've also got, does the sort of um does the technology work in the office as well as it does at home with some people that might be in the room and in kind of different locations and then there's even things to think about around do you have um employees on the call that might have um might have different needs so do you have individuals that might um have different neurodiverse needs for example and need to kind of process 
um, information yeah. differently and thinking about channels that are available. So, you know, Teams, for example, has the auto captioning, doesn't it? If you're um, if you're somebody that is either hard of hearing or perhaps needs to to, to be able to to kind of read those captions. And so I just think it's organisations really being mindful about how are we asking people to connect and collaborate and how how are we using some of those tools to make that a really inclusive experience mm-hmm. and and that's the dialogue that i think leaders need to be having with their teams but also at that senior leadership level around what is the message that we're you know kind of putting out into the organization how are we how are we sort of walking the walk not yeah. just kind of saying one thing and then doing something else which I think we're seeing a lot of organizations do which is the sort of you know senior leadership saying we're we we support hybrid working we're 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 here for hybrid working but actually then saying to everybody in their team get back into the office and we'll have it exactly exactly the way you know the way it was um I don't know if you heard I was just gonna just gonna add because it just kind of came to my mind a really recent um Brene Brown podcast episode she did um, we can link it in the um, in the show notes, and we also shared it, I think, on our um, Instagram stories earlier in the week. But this episode, um, I've forgotten the guy's surname, but I think he was called Scott, who um, had sort of come on and was talking about if you're going to run your organisation the way that you did in 2020, basically, basically, you're saying like pack up and go home because this is not this is not yeah. how businesses are going to run now. And but I think the sort of the dialogue around how do we need to make this work what needs to be different is um is is sort of super important Mm, yeah I agree with you because I think organizations run the risk of and I think there's a lot of weight put behind events now to get people back into the office perks for being back in the office you know trying to recreate those water cooler moments but it also does communicate a message to people that can't necessarily be there that there is a higher value placed on employees that can be physically present in the office And that's a real challenge. And I also think kind of, I totally, by the way, 100% agree with all of the amazing ideas and insights around making it inclusive. 100% think that's the way we should be moving. But I also see the challenge for leaders, which is, you know, as a manager, if I've got half of my team who can come into the office and then half of my team who actually need to spend more time at home, what do do I do? Do I limit the amount of in-person interactions I have? That adds a lot of stress to the situation as well, right? Because then you're like, oh God, well, how do I stop the proximity bias? How do I stop the kind of inequity in time as a manager that I'm giving to my team? And I think that's where, like, if I take a step back and I look at it kind of as a problem to solve, not necessarily saying to managers, you have to spend less time with people that you're physically in the office with, especially if you're able to go there. But it's about being cognizant of the impact that that will have on the decisions that you make. And that also adds to the importance of, I hate to use the word governance, but the governance structures around those critical decisions that you are going to make. So for HR, this is, you know, how do we look at our promotion process or our salary review process or our performance management process and kind of take into account that proximity bias so that our managers are less stressed about limiting the time they have with people in person and are more focused on managing regardless. You you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing is, leaders whether you're sort of leading small teams or you're you know leading teams of teams you know sort of leaders of leaders um I think there's there's a acknowledging that this is new and actually we don't have all the answers and 
we're trying to work through because this is a new way of working. So I think that point that I was making before about saying you might go back to to how it was it, it is not the right approach because it's never going to be like that, nor should it be. But we need leaders to be vulnerable. We need leaders to be thinking, even sitting down at the end of a week and saying of the meetings that I've had or you know the direct reports that I've had in my team, is that an equitable, equitable experience that they've yeah. all or they've all had and I've even done like do, done things like that myself where I've thought have I met each of them for lunch like even something as simple like that but just making yeah. sure that actually it is fair and if you weren't able to then do something like a kind of face-to-face interaction mm-hmm. how do you recreate some of that virtually so yeah. you are you know spending equals amount of time with with different um different employees in your team and one of the things I've kind of personally felt really useful was we had a discussion and bearing in mind, this is obviously a new team that I've kind of taken on in um, January, but we had a discussion probably six, eight weeks in where we talked about our working agreement. So it was things like, what are our care and responsibilities or how is it that we like to to work? What are the things that are the non-negotiables for us? And then we also talked about if we are going to try and get together face to face, what type of work is it that we would be coming together to get to face to face for? But also then saying what days do we think we could commit to all be in the office if everybody's able to make it in? Mm-hmm. And I think discussing that and almost setting those boundaries is one of the things that is, I think is really important. And we need to be equipping leaders to be able to have some of those conversations, I think, mm-hmm. to sort of say, how do you, how do you make this work? And what are the, what are the things that you need to be kind of conscious of and, and mindful yeah. of um, to make sure that it is a sort of inclusive experience for everybody? Absolutely agree. Totally agree. And I think this also just kind of emphasizes, and I think we touched on this before, it is so important that managers know their people at a deeper level than in 2020, you know, to know what are your home priorities, you know, what days can't you make that requires Mm. a level of connection between a manager and an employee um, that some managers might need training for some will feel automatically super comfortable with but I think that's ultimately what it boils down to is you know good good people managers with amazing people skills will be the key to retention and making hybrid working work Mm. definitely and so we touched upon this a little bit um earlier on in the episode but what role do you think employee experience and and sort of ex practitioners ex design play in the evolution of hybrid working strategies Mm. so we can really get this right so i definitely think to emphasize the point i raised before start bringing people back start revisiting the hybrid working strategy and principles conversation um, and get into a habit of doing it regularly as well I feel like the the mood the vibe changes constantly and people's yeah. needs change constantly so this needs to be like a cyclical thing quarterly mm. at a minimum that we're yeah. getting back together with key um, stakeholders mm. to say what's working what's not what more do our people leaders and people need um, yeah. so I would say that for one is be the champion of the review of hybrid working and if you're not directly responsible for diversity equity equity and inclusion make sure you're building that network and you've got the right people around the table um to help you make those decisions um that would be my first one what about you so i think where this is that where this is an option 
Um, and we've had a couple of episodes, like a really early um, episode was with Panelit, who talked about their um, organisation network analysis platform. But I think if you're an organisation that does have the option to bring um, that kind of that kind of data insight and, and that kind of technology in, that to me is one of the key enablers because the data that you get is so rich around the working practices in that hybrid working context and you would be able to see things like um the number of hours that people are spending in meetings are they in meetings with you know their direct line manager the line manager above you'd be able to see things like where cliques might be forming or where people are perhaps working you know really long hours and also what I think is really insightful is comparing data from those that might be more office based or in the office more frequently versus those working from home so I think if you are able to bring in and there's lots of obviously different providers that do um do offer that but if you're able to bring that in that's that sort of ability to get that data is incredibly rich I think and insightful so that would be another um kind of big recommendation from my perspective I think yeah what else do you think I absolutely agree. My dog agrees as well. I'm not sure if I know I heard him. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Yeah, Laura, 100 percent." Yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and actually, to add to that, I don't think that data is just relevant for hybrid policy. I also think that no. data needs to start going into diversity um, reports yeah, and metrics. Definitely. And mm. so there's a really interesting, I'll link it, um, HBR article that talks about um, the two different types of data, kind of you've got body count data, here's the number of women that we have in the organization and other minority groups, but then you've got kind of that process data, which is of that number, this number got promoted. And then I think the layer down from there is almost interaction data where we're saying of yeah. you know the 50% of women X number are present in the office. And as a result of that, X number present in the office were 35% more likely to get promoted. I think that's also like the level of diversity analytics we'll get to. Um, Yes, so I just wanted to kind of reiterate that. And then also ensuring that whatever you are doing, if EX sits within HR, that you are sharing those insights and that data and this kind of perspective with other service functions across the organization. So um, I think that's really, really important that it becomes a much broader discussion than just EX and HR, which sometimes it can be. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think that's a big point around thinking about the experience end-to-end right which we've talked a lot Mm. I think often is perhaps looked from a HR lens but thinking about who are your other partners and sort of service providers like you said whether that's you know technology property finance etc um I think that's a that's a really good point I feel like we could talk about this topic for for hours (laughs) and like you said um I think it is one that is going to evolve and Mm. it's something that I think we we sort of we'll probably revisit actually and and sort of stay stay close to so if you were going to kind of um summarize your your one kind of takeaway for our listeners what would it be Sasha putting you on the spot yeah this was not a question that (laughs) this was not a question um oh goodness I think I'm gonna half steal actually no this is going to be a prediction and a recommendation half stealing your point get ahead of the curve and make sure you're investing in hybrid working analytics this year that you can use for your employee experience design activities. What about you? I was going to say, actually, 
keep it simple because I think this is a this is a topic in the sense of it it's sort of multifaceted it has lots of layers to it and actually I think what we're saying at the core is we need our people leaders to be more cognizant and mindful so when I say keep it simple I think it is applying that lens so as if, if you're HR or EX practitioners it would be is it starting with some simple guidance for people leaders as the sort of you know starting point so I, so I think that would be my kind of my one my one tip is um do you focus on just starting to have the dialogue and the conversation I think is mm-hmm. um is the key thing and and, yeah. and go from there I think even starting the conversation is is a good a good starting point right agreed 100% so two ends of the spectrum there one is like go for the get all the money Shoot and pour, for the it, pour, pour money at it you go and then on the opposite side more practical advice which I think is absolutely necessary so yeah no we could definitely awesome. talk about this for hours and hours and hours so let's see we could and and I think um well done to us we both um are recovering from from covid you more frequently than me but even mm-hmm. actually I found talking that time I'm a bit out of breath which I, I think know. just shows just shows like some of the um the sort of lasting effects so um if you have tuned in and listened for the full episode thank you so much uh, for listening we've got some exciting speakers from across the globe which is um given our respective locations of the UK um Singapore we've got guests coming from the US and Australia which is going to make it super exciting in the next few weeks from a time zone perspective um but thank you for tuning in as always do like rate um subscribe to both our um podcast channels on Spotify or whatever platform it is that you listen to your podcast and YouTube if um if watching us on on video is also um something that you want to do and again we're also on um insta at the experience lounge podcast and we have a linkedin page with the same name as well so go and check it out thanks everyone speak soon thanks everyone bye bye